0: Thank you. Good morning. Um, good to see you all. For those that don't know me, my name is Samuel. I'm one of the leaders here at the Harbor Church. I'm also part of a powerful teaching team. And um, in December, we've been in the series that we've entitled Advent Conspiracy, Advent Conspiracy. And it's really all about us acting in harmony towards a common end. And that common end is simply to reclaim the true essence of Christmas. So as we begin, I'm excited about this morning because um, I'm going to be talking about extravagant worship. Worship is one of my favorite things to not simply talk about but to do. So um, I'm already giddy on the inside to just kind of jump in here. So um, let's pray and we're going to dive right in. Uh, Father, thank you. You're here, and we love that you are. Uh, Thank you for this moment, and we anticipate that you will be faithful to your promise to make all things new, beginning now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so... The true essence of Christmas, Christmas is really about the, what many say, the greatest story ever told. And one way that we could actually define this greatest story is by using the word gospel. Some of you may have heard that word before. You may be very familiar with it. Maybe this is your first time hearing it. But the gospel simply means good news. And for the sake of the next few moments When I say good news, when I say gospel, I'm referring to the good news of God's arrival. What's good about this news is because it communicates that God is coming. He is about to arrive. He is on his way. So my, my goal today is to simply communicate that extravagant worship is the most appropriate response to the news and the reality of God's arrival. I really believe that worshiping extravagantly is the most appropriate response to this good news. And I want to show... Just two reasons why I believe this is the case. So to do that, I'm going to just jump right into the gospel of, of Mark. I, I love this telling of the good news because Mark just gets right down to business. He, he doesn't really communicate too much about too many things. He just gets right down to business. And this is how he starts. In verse 1 of Mark 1, he says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. So he gets right down to business saying, okay, this is how the good news begins. This is the framework within which we make sense out of the news that God is about to arrive. Verse 2, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. So this, this good news begins with a voice that is telling people, get ready, prepare. Something is about to happen. Something is on the horizon and we need to get ourselves ready for it. This is the beginning of the good news. And this voice is almost like an alarm that has to wake us up out of our sleep. I don't know about you, but when you set your alarm like one of those like real annoying buzzing alarms that you just wake up with like, Ugh. sometimes it's a bad mood or it, 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 it's that kind of response that this voice really creates. It's, it's sudden. It comes out of nowhere. It it wakes us up, it, it makes us become aware of where we are in light of God's arrival, in light of the fact that He is on His way. And this, this voice is a calling to us to make a decision on whether we want to continue living the way we are or embrace something new. This 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 voice is a way of asking us, do we want to get in on what God is doing or would we rather maintain our current lifestyle? This voice shakes us into asking these kinds of questions. This voice that says, God is on the way. And this was the expectation of of the people of God in the Bible story. They were waiting, not only for the news, but the reality that God is on the way. That means everything will change. When he touches down, everything will change. It's this sense of, of expectation. And Advent captures that, that essence. And Advent is, is, is countercultural in the sense that it demands that we slow down in a season where the culture tells us to speed up. Go to each sale. Go to every mall. Be in a hurry. Don't miss the sale. Items are going fast. <laughs> this in, in this season, our culture demands speed and busyness. But Advent is the opposite. This voice of Advent says, slow down, because God is on the way. He is about to arrive. So then the question is, well, what happens when God arrives? And this is where I want to give a little, bit con- a little bit of context to the verse that we just read about the voice in the wilderness that Isaiah prophesies. So, going to Isaiah chapter 40, leading up to this chapter, all Isaiah is talking about is how bad things are. How people have been displaced. They are out of what's familiar, they're away from home, they are in exile. Everything is collapsing, everything is crumbling. And in the midst of all of that, they're asking, Where is God? Now, you've said he's on the way, but I am in bondage. I am enslaved. I am sick. I am depressed. I'm anxious. Where is God? And then we turn the page to this chapter, and this is what God says to his prophet to tell the people. And this is how he starts in verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Now, just to give just a little definition here, this word comfort doesn't necessarily suggest making people feel good. This this word comfort comes from this idea of comfort, stability, strength. Comfort is about providing a place of security for people to reconcile, what they're going through in light of the promise that God has for them. Everyone gets into this space. Major life issue, loss of a loved one, loss of a job. Because we're people of faith, we get into moments where we have to reconcile, God is good, God is loving, I know he's for me, but I just lost my job. I just got hit with this unexpected sickness. Where is God? And what he calls the prophet and us as people to do is to comfort, is to provide stability, to help people make sense out of the fact that God is not going to lie. Verse two, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her, This is where good news begins. That her hard service has been completed. That her sin has been paid for. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. I have to read this again. And proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. That her sin has been paid for. And that she receives from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. Okay, so let me just give a brief definition of sin to give you an idea of how amazing this news is. So sin is the burden that we carry, the debts that we owe, and the tendency that we have to infringe and rebel against what is right and truthful to God and others. Sin is the cause and the result of misery, heartache, and pain. But this good news, this voice suggests to us that the burns we carry will be removed. The debts that we owe because of these tendencies have been paid for. In fact, we will receive double for our trouble, put it that way. That's the good news. That's what happens when God arrives. Things, why am I so excited right now? (laughs) Man. I feel that thing. But that's what happens when God arrives. Verse 3, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. This This is significant here. Because you would think that this kind of news would be echoed in the city where the people are, where the hustling is. This, should, this message needs to be in the chambers of Congress. It needs to be where all the activity is. But for some reason, God chooses this voice has to be in the wilderness. Why? Because the wilderness is the most conducive space to hear and respond to the voice of God. The wilderness is where there's no distraction, there's no hurry, there's nothing to run to, nothing to do but to wait for God. That's where the voice is there. It's hard to make sense out of his voice when you've got a hundred million voices talking, dinging, buzzing. This this voice of Advent, this voice that says God is on the arrival, is for those that really are waiting for it, and. Verse 4, it says, this is what happens when God arrives. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. This, God's arrival is so monumental. It's so game-changing. It changes the landscape of the earth in general. In fact, nature itself has to accommodate itself for the arrival of God. Mountains made low, valleys brought up, everything that's rough has to be made straight because God is coming. Even nature knows to respond to the arrival of its creator. Everything becomes a level playing field in the presence of God. No one's higher, no one's more rich, no one's more poor. In the, when God arrives, everyone stands at attention on equal footing, even the mountains and the valleys together. Even nature knows to worship when God comes. How much more for us who are made in his image and likeness. So, extravagant worship is the most appropriate response because it is the most instinctive response of God's creation to his presence. Put it this way now, this, this carol that we sing every Christmas, Joy to the World, I want you to, to, to hone in on, on these words that we sing almost every year. Listen to this Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. The next verse: joy to the world, the savior ends, the savior reigns, let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plain repeat the sounding joy. There is something about these older songs that have weight to them, that capture the essence of what we really, man. And verse five, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. Not just some people, all people everyone will see it together for the, Lord, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is what happened when, when God arrives. Everything changes. Everything responds in the presence of something and someone far greater than we could ever imagine. That's why extravagant worship is the most appropriate response. What else are you going to do in the presence of all-consuming love? What else can you do but to surrender to it? This was the message of those that were waiting for for this arrival. Now, the Christmas story reminds us today that he did arrive. He, he showed up in a very unexpected way. He showed up in humility as a child. But the question now is, what does extravagant look like for us on the backside of God's first arrival? Now, we are here because we believe that he did arrive in the person of Jesus, that he showed up on the scene and he really did change everything. That God showed up in the person, in the human form of Jesus and he paid for our sins, he removed the burdens, he eliminated the tendency for us to rebel against him and to harm other people. He made it possible for us to be reconciled with him in relationship, an intimate one. He removed everything that hinders love. And now we receive his spirit on the inside of us that makes us say, Abba, Father. His spirit reminds us that we are united with him in such a way that he can call us family and children. So how do we respond? Because in many ways, we are between advents. We are inheritors of the first advent, but we look forward to the second one. When he returns, oh, this is one of my greatest hopes. And I love this this verse in 1 John 3 where it says, we will see him as he is. Listen, I can't speak for anyone else here. I can't wait to see him. I can't wait to see him. To embrace him. To the one that changed me. I can't wait to see him. I can't wait to see him. That's one of my greatest hopes in life, is to see him as he is. But the beauty is that there is an aspect of that that I could receive even now. He Listen, Jesus is coming back. Now, that, this message may have been lost in our contemporary churches lately, but I was raised in a culture and in a time where you always heard, Jesus is coming back. That's the old school part of me. That you were reminded every Sunday, Jesus is coming. You better get ready. He's coming back. And there's value to always being on your tippy toes and being aware of the ways in which God will show up. Always being on alert for how he can arrive. Because listen, he can arrive in the human heart even right now by his spirit. Extravagant worship. What does it look like after he arrives? So I want to fast forward in Mark and go to Mark chapter 14. And I want you to see this scene of extravagant worship. Starting at verse 3. It says, while he was in Bethany. By the way, the word Bethany means... House of the poor or house of affliction. So while he was in the house of the poor and in the house of affliction, not absent from it, not distant from it, but actually there. Keep that in mind. Reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came. Let me pause right here. You've got to see... What's happening in this moment, in the eyes of some, God isn't supposed to be here. He doesn't belong with the poor. He doesn't belong with the afflicted. He shouldn't be around those with leprosy that have been outcast to society. And then a woman just bursts on the scene. This is inappropriate. But for some reason, God is there. Yeah. The places we think there is no way God can be there with those people. No way. We would be surprised at where the footprints of God are on the earth. All right. A woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. This is against custom, social norms. She's breaking etiquette right now. Because look at verse 4. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another. Saying to one another. That's our tendency. We, We typically talk around people. Okay, I talk around people. <laughs> Where'd that come from? Okay. Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Now, she, this perfume was very expensive. In fact, what they basically say here is what she had was equivalent to one year's wage. This is an annual salary. It's looking at it from a distance, it's almost as if this woman is being so irresponsible. You mean to tell me You gave away a whole year's wage to God? That's irresponsible. (laughs) That is not the way you fiscally manage your budget by giving so much money to God. Seems impractical. But what this woman shows us is that for worship to be extravagant, it has to be costly. True worship always costs something. For worship to really be extravagant, it is costly. Why is it costly? Because it it forces us to come outside of ourselves. It it puts us in a space where we think differently. We become less selfish, less focused on me, and we place our attention and our value on someone else. That's costly. It costs you something to not think about yourself. And worship must be extravagant if we are to match, or at least try to match, the value and true worth of God in our lives. Let me just say this. There isn't an amount of money that can truly match how precious God is to the human heart. You can't put a price tag on the love of God. But we can give all that we have as a way of saying, this this doesn't even come close, but I have to surrender something. Which is to say that worship is more than just singing along and lifting our hands. Worship is about a course correction. It's a realignment. It's a different way of doing things. Worship is more than just responding to music. It's responding to God. Music just makes the experience more palatable. Music puts us in a place where we can really focus on what's happening in that encounter. Music sets uh, sets the table. It creates the scene. But we don't worship music. Music isn't our God. Music doesn't save us. Music reminds us of the one who does. It gives us language. It puts us in this rhythm and this cadence to really experience the presence of our creator, the one who saves and loves. That's what it, music slows us down. It catches our attention. It makes us more aware that we're, on the, we're in the presence of something greater. Okay. Verse 6. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. This woman understood the value of preparation and making room for something greater. Now, I could have a bad habit sometimes. My wife would tell you this. I just throw things away. I just throw things away. And it's bit me a few times. I'm like, oh, man, I needed that. And I, and I threw it away like last week. But I love to be in the mindset of always making room. I always want to leave room for God to bless, to provide, to minister. To I don't want to be so cluttered where there's no room for God or to experience what he wants to do in any given moment. I always want to have room. For it's space. Let every heart prepare him room. Verse 9. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached, wherever the good news of my arrival is declared, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Why? This woman's response was worship giving what she had that was of value. And the question is, have we given God our all? Are we holding back something? If so, why? Wherever the good news is declared, the value of preparing for more, the value of giving God your all also has to be in the equation because the good news warrants a response the good news makes us ask the question what do I do now the old school word for this would be repent that could be a scary word but repent just simply means go the other direction do something different. Change the way you do, view, see things. That's how you make room. I've, I've asked um, Janelle to sing some lyrics for us just to remind us of what it is to partner with creation to worship our creator. So as she sings and you see the lyrics on the the screen, my hope is that your heart would begin to move and beat in a different way. That Worship would be more extravagant in the days to come. And that could be with our time, with our talents, or with our resources. Because everything we do, we are to do as unto the Lord. So listen to these lyrics and and then we're going to close here. See? Response: the most instinctive response is for us to worship our creator to make room to experience what he has for us in any given moment it is to change the way we look at things to change the way we view people to change the way we handle what he gives us Worship is a course correction. And it's not something that we simply do for 50 minutes a week. In many ways, worship is a lifestyle. It's it's a way of living. I believe that God wants to expand the way we view worship and what it practically looks like. Can we equate it to lifting hands? Yes. Singing? Yes. But if everything we do is done as unto the Lord, then everything is worship. And this season, we're called to worship God. us separated from him so that we can be with him uninterrupted. That's the good news that God has arrived and he changes everything. So what we'd like to do now as Janelle continues to to play and even continues to sing if, if you've never had a relationship with God or at least one that you could Put your finger on it or make sense out of. We want to reinvite you to draw closer to the one who has arrived. The one who can change everything. It doesn't matter the color of your skin, it doesn't matter how much money you have, it doesn't matter if you're married, single, tall, small, it, it, he can change everything. And chances are the person sitting next to you or in your row testify to that fact but if you want to take a step of faith and say you know what it's time for something new and I want to actually prove that I'm serious by just taking a step and allowing someone to pray with me and for me to get into a deeper and grow into a deeper relationship with this creator, the one that he loves if, if you want to just respond to the message in general and you're like, I want to worship. And I want my worship to not be reserved to a couple of minutes a week. But I want to expand my worship and I want someone to, to pray with me as I make that commitment then we want to pray for you too. If you maybe are sick or you have some something going on in your body, we believe that what Jesus died for is for us to be whole in spirit, soul, and body. And we believe that he heals people. He really does. And if that's you, we want you to come to the front too. So after I pray, as we offer things up to God. Father, thank you for the beauty of your presence and you're here and we love that you are. All that we have, Lord, we give to you.